Good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? It is an absolute beautiful day. You want to help me with this, Justin, real quick? Thank you, brother. It is so great to be with you all. If you're new with us, my name is Jason. Let's move it over to this side because I always have one left. We're picky. Thank you, brother. I am picky. <laughs> uh, it is so great to be here. If you are new with us, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion, and we are so glad that you have joined us this morning. Um, as we come to prepare for this message, here's the thing is what we're ultimately believing in and praying for is that God would move in our midst. Amen. And so here's what I'm looking for. If you're new with us, if this is your first time here, we actually do this invitational prayer, which is a way of preparing our hearts for what God has. Now, today is the beginning of our summer series called You've Already Got It, where we're exploring God's promised blessing in our life. And what we're going to be unpacking is just some of God's promises and blessings for your life if you are a follower of Jesus. Now, I want to be clear. These promises only apply if you're a Christian. If you don't know Jesus, the promises and the blessings that we're going to talk about, these actually are not directed at you. Now, that doesn't mean they can't be. It simply means that they're found in Jesus. They're not found in being in tune with the universe. They're not found by just simply speaking out into existence. They're found in our relationship with Christ. I want to give you a little backstory what got us here. If you're new, this is going to be a glimpse into who we are as a church, where we're going as a church, and what we believe God is calling us to be as a church. About two years ago, we stepped into a new season of church ministry with new vision and values. And if you've been at Zion for more than a moment, you've surely heard of some of these things already, which is great. Uh, to quote Andy Stanley, a very well-known pastor and author, he said this, vision leaks. In other words, if a church or an organization does not regularly keep its vision in front and center of the people, it will naturally be forgotten. And the reason for that is because visions don't stick. We easily forget about why we're here, what we're called to do. Now, the church, our mission is Jesus's mission, amen? We don't need a new mission. Any church that says they have a different mission than the one Jesus has given us actually isn't doing what God called us to be. And here's what we believe our mission is. You were created for a mission. Zion was created for a mission. And God's mission is simple. It's found in the great commission. And the great commission is to partner with God's spirit, God's word, and God's people to make disciples of Jesus. A disciple is simply a follower, a student of Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to know and obey God's command. Now, while our mission always stays the same, our vision and our values, who we are and who we want to be as a church family, those change. And they should change. I mean, think about how different culture is now from even five years ago, 10 years ago, much less 50 or 100 years ago. Our vision and values are found in three words. Now, if you're a Zion person, if you know these, our three words are this. Belong, believe, become. Will you guys say that with me? Belong, believe, become. Now, this led us to a three-year process, which we started two years ago, where we've spent, we committed one year to each one of these visions and values, exploring what they mean through scripture, what they mean for us as a church. 
year one, we looked at what it meant to belong. What does it mean to belong? And here at Zion, we strive to be a safe place for all people to explore and grow in faith. You do not have to believe in Jesus to belong to our church, to be a part of our church. We welcome questions and doubts. Because when we look at the person of Jesus, he had this remarkable way of making every person he encountered feel like they belonged there. And that's what we wanna be as a church. We want this to be a place where you don't have to believe to belong, where you feel like it's okay to be at a place when you have questions. Now that being said, we are unapologetically and unabashedly about Jesus. We love Jesus, we believe that Salvation is found through Christ alone, not found through religious works. It's found through what Jesus did for us. And we make no apologies that we want you to believe in Jesus. We want you to place your hope and trust in him as your savior, Lord, and king. Now, last summer, we did a series called This Is How I Fight. How many of you were here for our summer series last year? Say amen. amen. Okay, last summer we did This Is How I Fight where we looked at the spiritual warfare going on in the world around us for the hearts, minds, and souls of all God's people and those who do not yet belong to Christ. That we believe in a literal enemy whose name is Satan, and while he is not equal to God, he wants to do everything he can to get in the way of what God is doing. Satan is an actual being who rebelled against God as an angel, and what he wants to do is to bring rebellion into your life and into the world around us, so he will do anything he can to interfere, distract, and then discourage people, especially God's people, from belonging and believing. And I believe one of Satan's most insidious lies is telling you that you don't belong here. That whether it be because of sin or doubt or unbelief, that you don't belong in a place where Jesus could love you, and that's not true. This prepped us for last fall. Last fall, we spent a year exploring the area of belief. So the year before that was belonging, and all this last year leading up to today, we've been focusing on our vision and value of believe. And here's what we did. We really quickly went through a few things, and I'd encourage you, if you haven't heard these or if you're curious, go on to our app or our website and listen to these. We talked about the Apostles' Creed, which unites all people in Jesus who believe in Jesus, whether you're Catholic, Baptist, whether you're Methodist, non-denominational. If you believe in the Apostles' Creed, you're part of our community. We also looked at the stories and the wrong stories that shape who we believe, what we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves and the world around us and how those stories form us how they deform us, how they can transform us if we believe in Christ. And then we looked at the five core beliefs that led to the formation of the Protestant church, which is who we are, and how those core five beliefs separate us and help us understand our identity and salvation in Christ alone, and how what we believe about God and why we believe it really matters, which then, leading to last week, we then moved into the purpose-driven life because we believe that God created you for a purpose. Now, what has led us to our final series of belief this summer around this idea of God's promises is because we believe that God is doing something in Zion. How many of you would agree with that? God's doing some remarkable stuff in our church right now. Yeah, we can clap for that. That's it's amazing. We have some people who traveled to Florida over the winter, and some of them came back. They were gone for four months. And like, Jason, the church looks totally different. 
We're seeing new people coming, not just from other churches, but people exploring faith, people who are curious about God or people who left church and are now coming back. How many of you here can drive a stick shift? I'm talking about a car. Raise your hand if you can. If you can drive a stick shift, say, I can. All right. How many of you are like, what's a stick shift? Okay. <laughs> My first time driving a stick, I was 17 years old and I was working for a company called Fun Novelty. We did those really cheesy school carnivals, not the one with the fun rides, but like the little kid games. And this is in San Diego, and my boss comes to me and says, Jason, we have some deliveries in the mountains of San Diego, in Julian and Ramona. If you're familiar with San Diego, it's a really, very hilly area. One problem was I had never driven a stick shift in my life. So I turn to my boss and I go, hey, I don't know how to drive a stick. And he goes, well, you better figure it out. And he gives me this little tan Datsun in 1994. I mean, this thing is, you remember those cars? Yeah, this tan Datsun pickup truck. And I'm driving, and I mean, I'm going all over. And I get into the mountains, and as I come up this hill, at the top of a hill is a stop sign, but it's not on flat ground. And I'm driving the stick, and I get to the top, and I stop, and all of a sudden, a cop pulls up behind me. <laughs> and every part of me is like, uh-oh. And I get super nervous, and I go to start, and because I panic, I literally, the car stalls right there, and it jerks, and stops. And I watch the cop pull around me and just shake his head. It's just like this, and I'm like, oh, okay. And I get up, and, and here's the thing. What happens when you're driving a stick shift and you try and shift too early? You stall out. What happens if you try and shift too late? Well, if you shift too late, you end up burning out the clutch. It's not designed. It's supposed to be that you're supposed to shift just as the RPMs are getting to that sweet spot. Well, here's what we're praying for. We're praying and we believe that God is doing some momentous things in our church. And we don't want to be too late and we don't want to be too early. We want to be at just the right time. And part of the reason why we've spent a year on these things is because one, we think it matters. But two, I believe that God is moving and is wanting to change gears in your life and to move you to the next level. Who here wants to go to the next level in your faith? Say amen. And I think that's where it starts from is this belief that God is not only sovereign and in charge, but that God wants you to move. He wants to move in your life. And so he's preparing something for you. He wants to move your walk with him, your relationship with him, your life to the next level. Now, if you want to meet with Jesus this morning, this is where our prayer comes in. We believe in God's promise that in James, he says this, come near to God and he will come here to you. It is a promise from God. And so would you stand with me? We're going to pray this prayer. You can repeat after me. We're going to pray this prayer. And then I've invited my friend, Teresa Lee, who's going to read our scripture verse for us this morning. If you want to extend a hand to the Lord, you can, and just repeat this prayer after me. It's a prayer of invitation and it's a prayer of preparation. Heavenly father, I praise you, God, for your faithfulness. For your goodness and kindness. Holy Spirit, help me fix my eyes on Jesus this morning. To resist the devil's lies and surrender my life to you. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that is open. Help me step into 
What's next for my life, Lord? In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite Teresa to go ahead and introduce yourself. And she's going to read our scripture verses for this morning. Well, good morning. My name is Teresa Lee, and I've been coming to Zion for eight years now. And our Bible verses for this morning come from Ephesians 1, 3 through 4, 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 12, and 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Flee from sin, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me give it up for Teresa. Thank you, team. It takes, it's kind of scary to get up here and, and be on a microphone. So thank you, T. We're going to have throughout summer, my hope is to have people that will come from our community and read our scripture verses. Here's why I believe this summer series is so important for my life and for yours. And I want you to hear this. I believe everything we believe about God, about Jesus, about being a Christian is pointless without God's promises. You heard me right. I believe that everything that we believe about God, about Jesus, about salvation, everything that we do is pointless without God's promises. Because if God's promises are not true, then none of those things matter. And so these promises, these blessings are important. And if I'm honest with myself, the problem for me is that often I struggle to believe in God's promises. How many of you struggle to believe in God's promises? I do. I wrestle with it. It's hard to understand, but I want you to think about this. If God's promises are not true, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that through faith in Jesus is life, death, and resurrection, that you are saved from sin and death, made children of God. If his promises aren't true, then none of that is true. If his promises are not true, we don't have a new identity in Christ. If his promises are not true, the waters of baptism not only don't wash away sin, but they don't unite us to Jesus and to his family. If his promises aren't true, the blood and wine of communion strengthens, which promises to strengthen, nourish your faith and soul. That's not true. And lastly, we believe that God answers prayers, but if we don't believe in our promises, the promise of eternal life in Christ, the promise that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of victory in Christ. If we do not understand and believe his promises, if they're not true, none of that matters. But thankfully... And this is why this matters that we went through what we did last year. Here's what we believe and know about God. God is faithful to his word. He is a good God. He is a great God, but he is a faithful God. And everything that Christians believe, we believe in because God is faithful to his promises. All of them. Even the promises we don't like. And I'm going to say this to those of you who are not Christians yet. God makes a promise to non-Christians, and the promise is a hard one. And that is that if you don't place your trust and faith in Jesus, there is an eternity without him in it, and it's called hell. 
But that's not what God wants for you. God wants you to spend eternity with him. And herein lies the dilemma or the problem. Because if you're anything like me, I struggle to trust God at his word. I wrestle with this. And this is not unique to me or to you. In fact, people throughout history, including God's people, have struggled to trust God at his word. We started our 40 days of series purpose talking about the life and story of Jacob. And we're going to, today, we're going to come back to the life and story of Jacob. But I want to kind of recap for those of you who are not familiar with the Old Testament or if you've never read the Bible before. Jacob was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, okay? Jacob stole the birthright from his older twin brother, a guy named Esau, by conning his old blind father, Isaac. Now, Isaac was the son of Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham that if Abraham were to trust him, he would give him land, he would give him offspring, and he would give him blessing. His offspring would be blessed and he would be blessed for generations to come. There was one problem. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were really old beyond childbearing years. And so it's one thing to say God can give you a land, but the land was far away. But how is God possibly going to bring life from a barren womb, from a woman who's too old to bear children? And yet God was faithful. Isaac was part of God's promised faithfulness to Abraham. But it wasn't just Abraham who would be blessed. It would be Isaac who was blessed and his grandchildren and great-grandchildren and their one and so forth. Now, here's what happens. Jacob steals the birthright from his brother, the blessing from Esau. Now he's on the run from his brother and he has this encounter with God. This is what we talked about in our first teaching of last, our last series. And in this encounter with God, Jacob falls asleep at a place called Bethel and the Lord shows Jacob a ladder descending from heaven to earth. And it reveals to Jacob that Jacob has put himself at the top of the ladder. Isn't that a problem we all have? We tend to think we're God, we're at the top of the pyramid, so to speak. Jacob has elevated his needs, his desires and wants above everyone else's, even his family's, to the point that he's willing to sacrifice his relationship with his father, his brother, and the rest of his family. Why? Because Jacob didn't trust in God's promises. So he took the blessing. Now, I want to bring us back to Jacob. And here's a little bit more backstory for the life of Jacob to understand what's going on here. Remember, God made a promise to Jacob's grandfather that if Abraham was faithful to God, God would be faithful to Abraham, to his son, grandsons, all in all. We just talked about that. The only thing Jacob needs to do is trust it. But Jacob doesn't trust what's going on. Jacob has to take things into his own hands. How many of you tend to take things into your own hands? I know I do. It's an easy trap to fall into, isn't it? And so Jacob, who has stolen the blessing that is already his, that's the craziest part. The blessing was already there because God made a promise to him, but he didn't believe it. And so he takes it for himself. Why did Jacob feel the need to steal the blessing in the first place? Well, it could be a couple things. First, maybe he was never told about the blessing to his grandfather and father, so ignorance. Some of you 
try and take control of the life and blessing in your life because you just don't know God's promises. You're ignorant to God's promises. Second is maybe he actually didn't believe God's promises. He didn't believe that God would honor his promise to him. And so it wasn't ignorance, but rather it was doubt. Some of you take control of your life because you doubt that God actually is going to take care of you. And then the last one is just simply rebellion. Maybe Jacob didn't care about God's promises. And in fact, he just chose himself over all else. And so he was led by sin. Whether it was ignorance, doubt, or sin, one of my favorite descriptions about the life of Jacob comes from a group of people called the Bible Project. And they give this wonderful explanation about the plot, the trajectory of Jacob's life. Listen to this. The Jacob story is all about a guy who doesn't believe he's going to get God's blessing. So he spends his life hurting everyone around him. He tries to scheme and steal the blessing and abundance for himself instead of trusting God who's going to give it to him. Here we find 20 years later, Jacob is on the run after stealing the blessing from his brother. He's away from his homeland. He's still terrified of his brother's wrath. And he's now married. He's got two wives, which ironically he got because his father-in-law tricked him into marrying both of his daughters. He has many children. He's acquired massive wealth, all of which Jacob fought and often manipulated to get. Side note, some of you here in this room or in this place might hear the story of Jacob and read it as he's a self-made man. Way to go, buddy. But there's a problem. That wasn't what he was supposed to be. There's no such thing as a self-made person. It doesn't, some of you were born into great families with money and wealth and prosperity. And, and so you inherit it. Some of you, you, maybe you thought you worked for it and every penny you have is because you worked hard. But let me ask you this. Where did the breath of your lungs come from? Where did your abilities come from? They came from God. There are no self-made people. There are only people who are stewarding or not stewarding what God has given them. To a large extent, Jacob believes he is a self-made man. And here's the problem. What he's made, he's gotten there has come at a great cost. Some of you here this morning have gone to where you are at a great cost and not a good one. It came at a cost of sacrificing relationships or maybe your honor or integrity. Jacob has left a trail of broken relationships in his wake. And just like his brother was pursuing him, he's now found himself being pursued by his father-in-law. Because he, once again, he conned his father-in-law to make it so that he would get even a larger blessing than he was supposed to get. Now, here's the part that's amazing about God. And I want you to hear this. God is faithful to Jacob in spite of Jacob. And God is faithful to you in spite of you. God's blessings are remarkable. Why? Because he is a faithful God. God still blessed Jacob. He took care of Jacob. And after 20 years on the run, God comes to Jacob and tells him it's time to go back home to his father and grandfather and his brother. There's one problem though. Jacob is terrified of Esau. And he's concerned that if he goes back, Esau is going to take revenge. And all of the wealth, everything that Jacob has plotted and gotten for himself, his brother is going to take from him out of bitterness and revenge. 
Now this is found in Genesis 32. While traveling back home to where his brother, his father, and his grandfather are, Jacob is getting closer to his homeland when an angel appears to Jacob. And Jacob says there's something holy about this place. And so he stops and he just kind of sets up camp for the night. Now, because he's wise and shrewd and, and realizes that there's a possible threat, he takes his two families and he divides them. He keeps one with him and one somewhere else so that if his brother Esau does come and attack him, at least his entire family won't be destroyed. While he's there, he sends some servants ahead of him to go meet with his brother to kind of smooth things out, to get a sense of where things are. So he sends servants to Esau, and this is what the message is. His, Esau, his brother tells them, listen, tell Esau, my brother, I've been living with a distant relative and have done pretty well for myself. I have cattle and donkey and sheep and goats and male and female servants. This was the definition of wealth, by the way, back then. His servants come back from meeting with his brother Esau, and they let him know that Esau is on his way to meet him with 400 men. Needless to say, Jacob's a little freaked out. And so he again separates his family, and he begins to pray. Now it's interesting that the one time that Jacob prays is when things go bad. How many of us totally ignore God? We make decisions without him left and right until things go sideways, and then we're like, Lord, I need help. It happens all the time. It happens in my life. This is what Jacob prays. Oh, God of my father, Abraham, God of my father, Isaac, Lord, you said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. That's a true prayer, by the way. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Now listen to this. Jacob prays to God, save me. I pray from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Isn't it interesting that Jacob conveniently remembers God's promises when he's in trouble, but ignores them when he needs to trust them. This is the condition of most of our lives. Most of us don't trust God or rely on his promises until things go sideways. And then it's very, it's interesting how quickly we turn to God. But here's what I love about God. He's just glad you came regardless of why. He ignores God. He doesn't trust God. He doesn't consult God or his word. He doesn't. We sell. There we go. He doesn't do any of this. Why? Because he's afraid. But here's the craziest thing about God. Paul writes in 2 Timothy to his spiritual son, he says this, God is faithful even when you are faithless. God is faithful to Jacob and he's faithful to you even when your faith is not there because he is bigger than your faith. So what is this about then? Once again, we find Jacob at the center of a very famous story. And I think it's important that we read these because Jacob is waiting outside of his homeland, dreading meeting up with his presumably hostile and angry brother. And once again, God shows up to meet with Jacob. Now check out what happens. Some of you have probably heard this, especially if you went to Sunday school. This is in Genesis 32. After he had sent across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. 
So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob didn't realize it, but he was actually wrestling God. Now here's the thing, God could have overpowered Jacob immediately. God allowed the wrestling to take place. So Jacob called the place, oh sorry, uh, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But the man replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of, of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Now, there are three things that happen in the story, and I want you to pay attention to them because they matter for you and they matter for me. First of all, Jacob sends his family away. Why? Because he doesn't actually trust that God's got his back. He's making sure to have a backup plan in case God doesn't come through. Second, the night before he's going to meet his brother, some random dude all of a sudden comes into Jacob's camp and they begin to wrestle. That's weird. Unless you're hanging out with Ray McQueen and then he might jump on you and try and wrestle you to the ground. He just did that to me. And, and now here's the other part. I, I'll be honest. If somebody came and wrestled me, the Lord wouldn't have to mess up my hip. Old age has done that for me. That's just a real thing now. Jacob has no idea who this man is, and Jacob struggles all night until the man will bless him. This man is one of God's angels, and the Lord tweaks Jacob's hip so that Jacob surrenders, but Jacob refuses to surrender. Now, as we look at this, Jacob's response is, I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob fought with everyone and everything around him. He lied, manipulated, stole. Why? Because he thought he had to fight for the blessing. He actually didn't believe that God would bless him. He thought he had to fight for every blessing that came his way. God did two things that night that forever altered Jacob's life. First, God changed his name and identity from Jacob, which meant liar, to Israel, one who wrestles with God. And the second blessing is he left Jacob with a limp for the rest of his life. Now you might be asking, how is a limp a blessing? Jacob had spent most of his life running because of his lack of trust and the guilt of his sin. The limp that God gave him was the best thing that ever happened to Jacob because Jacob could no longer run. He could no longer run from God. He could no longer run from his past. He was forced to confront it. He had to, from then on, rely on God. Some of you here today are dealing with literal physical injuries and you're praying for God to take them away and God isn't. And you might be wrestling with why. Why aren't you healing this? 
Sometimes the limp is God's way of protecting you from yourself. John Wimber, who was a very famous, started the Vineyard Church back in the 70s, he was quoted as saying this, never trust a leader without a limp. The limp is often a sign of humility, brokenness, and reliance. It's a humility that comes because your pride has been broken. The Apostle Paul, almost 2,000 years after the story of Jacob, he's dealing with a debilitating illness. We don't know exactly what it was. We know that some people think that the, it might have been blindness, cataracts left over from when God threw him off a horse and revealed Jesus to him as king and he was blinded. Maybe it was an eye issue. Others think it might have been a stomach issue. Others think it might have been a mental or another spiritual affliction, depression, anxiety. We don't know what it is, but what we do know is this, is the Apostle Paul said this, that he prayed three times that God would take away this infirmity, that God would heal the limp. And this is where the story of Jacob and Paul's intercede. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I want you to know this. Paul is acknowledging his own human brokenness, that he can be rather full of himself. He can depend on himself more than God. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, it's interesting that the number three in Hebrew thought, it could be that he literally prayed three times, but three also means completion. It's similar to the number seven. And it could mean that, that Paul is actually saying, listen, this infirmity, this sickness, this thing I'm dealing with, I pray about it all the time. I keep on coming to God saying, God, would you just take it away from me? you just heal me? I kept on, I constantly, persistently brought it before the Lord. It's consuming me. Some of you here are consumed by something in your life other than Jesus. It might be a physical illness. It might be a spiritual thing. It might be financial. And you're praying, God, fix it, heal it. And God's not taking it away. And this is what the Lord told the apostle Paul. And this is what he tells all of us. Listen to this. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Did you catch that? God's power is made perfect in your life through your weakness, not your strength. Jacob's strength was his ability to con. Jacob's strength was his ability to lie and cheat and manipulate. And God had to do something radically in Jacob's life to make him dependent on him. The apostle Paul, before he was Paul, he persecuted the church. He murdered Christians. He was religious, thought that he was the stuff. And God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness and Paul says this, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. Did you know that you can brag about your weakness because that gives you an opportunity to talk about the all-encompassing power of Jesus Christ in your life? That is why for Christ's sake, Paul says, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's not a message we want to hear very often. 
What we want to hear is, well, if I trust God, God's going to heal. I believe God. I've seen God heal. But sometimes he does it because he wants to teach you to rely on his promises and blessings. Sometimes the limp is the... We lose me? There we go. I apologize. We're dealing with some technical difficulties. We're getting them figured out. God left Paul with a limp. And that limp was one of God's greatest gifts to Paul as it was to Jacob because the limp taught dependence on God's faithfulness and promises. Jacob never needed to fight for God's blessing because he already had it. Do you know that you already have God's blessing in your life? You need to stop fighting for it. Because here's the thing. Just like Jacob, to many of us, we fight the wrong thing. If Jacob had spent his energy resisting the devil's lies, fighting against his own needs, his own ego, he could have been walking freely in God's promised blessing in his life. That's true for some of you here today. Some of you are missing out on God's promise for your life because you're fighting the wrong place. Instead of fighting the devil, instead of fighting the flesh, instead of fighting the lies, you're fighting God. And God is saying, would you just surrender? I can tell you this is true for my life. Some of my most painful moments in my life, which I would never wish on anybody, these are the moments that God has used to shape and form me into the follower of Jesus, the man, the husband, the father, the friend, and yes, the pastor that I am today. And he's not done with me yet because he loves me. And he's not done with you yet because he loves you, amen? God loves you. God wants to bless you. Now, that does not necessarily mean blessings the way you want. How many people would pray for the blessing of a messed up hip? Nobody. So God's blessings do not mean that they always fit or match what you think a blessing should be. Rather, the greatest blessing is dependence on Christ. My hope for you, for myself, for us as a church family, is that we would see just how good God is and how good his promises actually will be for our lives. Because God, his promises are true and yes in Christ. God does not promise an easy life. God does not promise a pain-free life. God doesn't promise worldly wealth. But God does make us promises and these promises lead us to the greatest blessings which are found in Christ. I very quickly want to go through our text that we read this morning. Listen to these again. Ephesians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed you and me in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every blessing is found is available to you through Christ. For he chose you in him before the creation of the world. You simply have to place your hope and trust in Jesus to have access to one of those every one of those spiritual blessings. And then he wrote in Timothy, flee from sin, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession. See, there is a struggle. But your struggle, instead of wrestling with God to receive and earn God's blessing, the real fight is to wrestle against the lies of the devil. What lies are you believing? What are you struggling with that is keeping you from God's blessing and promises? What 
brokenness in your flesh, what lies and family stories. Author and pastor and theologian John Piper wrote this. One of God's promised blessings is joy for the believer's life. It is a good fight because it's not a struggle to carry a burden, but a struggle to let a burden be carried for you. The life of joy in God is not a burdened life. It is an unburdened life. The fight for joy is the struggle to trust God with the burdens of your life. It's a fight for freedom from worry. It's a fight for hope and peace and joy, which are all threatened by unbelief and doubt about God's promises. Now listen to this next part. And when there is a delay in a blessing, we trust the wisdom of our heavenly father's timing and we simply wait. This is not a name it and claim it gospel. This is not new age. This is not getting in tune with the frequencies of the universe. This is putting yourself in the path of Jesus's goodness. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team back up and we're going to come to the close here. I want to close with this last verse and then I want to share a story. First Corinthians says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Jesus. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Every single one of God's promises for your life were bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Jesus fought the good fight for your salvation so you could stand in the blessing. You simply need to fight to stay in the blessing. You don't need to fight for the blessing. God desires blessing for your life, but you have to stop trying to control, fight for it, stop trying to earn it through your religiousness, strength, and power. And sometimes God will bless you through brokenness. Rascal Flats, by the way, didn't coin that term. God really does bless the broken roads. Because you've already got God's promised blessing for your life. You don't have to fight to receive it. Would you stand with me? And I want to share a story of a friend of mine who's been coming to Zion, recently got baptized about a month ago, my friend Tanner. Here's my favorite part about Tanner's story. Tanner came to Jesus because of his friend Tim. Tim talked about Jesus and eventually Tanner realized he needed Jesus and Tanner and I had some great conversations. Tanner surrendered his life to Jesus, got baptized about a month and a half ago. And when he got baptized, we started talking about faith. And here's Tanner's story. He comes to me and goes, Jason, I don't want to brag. I'm like, okay, what is it? And he goes, well, I know you told me that God promises to bless me to take care of me when I tithe. And so I've been tithing. I said, that's awesome. He goes, one problem. I'm $750 in debt. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he goes, but I trust you. Now, catch this. It's not even that he trusted God yet. He trusted me. That's scary. Don't trust the Lord over trusting Jason, right? He goes, but I'm going to keep on tithing because maybe God's trying to teach me through debt. I don't know. So I said, Tanner, why don't we do this? Why don't we pray and we trust in God's promises? So we sat together in my house on a Monday night after a group and I, I put my arm around him and I said, we pray. And we said, Holy Spirit, you give us your word in scripture that if we, we, we promise, you promise that if we, we are obedient in our tithing, that you'll bless him. Now, he doesn't promise that he's going to financially bless you. He never says that. So he said, God, you know what Tanner needs. And you know that Tanner needs 750 bucks. And so week goes by. Last Sunday, Tanner was supposed to be at church. It was a hard day. The enemy won a little bit, ended up not coming to church. He texted me. He said, I'm so sorry. I had a difficult morning. Later that afternoon, Tanner texts me. 
And Tanner says, Jason, can you, can you call me? I need to talk to you. I'm like, okay, great. I call him a little bit later and he goes, I don't want to brag, but something happened. I'm like, what happened? He goes, I, I, got a, I got a thing from Wells Fargo and I opened it up and there was a check for $750 from Wells Fargo. They had been overdoing my, my account for the last year. They just realized it this last week and they sent me a check for 750 bucks. And he looks at me and he goes, I don't think that's a coincidence. And I go, it's not. And we laughed and he's like, it's amazing. You are lying. This, this stuff is real. And I'm like, dude, I don't tell people to trust in God's blessings for the church's benefit. I tell them for your benefit, for, your, that for, for his benefit, for your benefit. See, here's the thing. The only thing Tanner needed to do was to surrender. And again, it doesn't mean that next month that that's how God's going to provide. And this isn't, even, this isn't a tithing message, but that was one of God's promises that if you tithe, God will bless you exponentially more than you can fathom. God showed up. He revealed to Tanner all of his promises are yes and amen. So here's my challenge for you. We close. What blessing do you need in your life that is dependent upon your faith in Jesus? What sins in your life are keeping you from God's blessing? And if you don't know because you're ignorant of God's promises, this is why you need to come. This summer, we're going to be talking about all a bunch of the different promises. Not all of them. There are hundreds of promises. But we're going to be looking at some key promises for your life, for your faith. And the only thing you need to do is you need to stop fighting for them because they're already yours and start believing in them. And stop fighting against God. Fight against the lies of the devil and the enemy. Amen? Let's come and worship. And as we close in this last song, receive this as a blessing. This is our benediction prayer and song. Let's sing this together for the glory of God. Amen? Let's give a clap to the Lord because God is good.